notes here. Um, so we're going to talk about, this is kind of like hard to explain concisely, but basically I forced Kelly to read a book called <laughs> Fangirl by Rainbow Rowell. You should all check it out. It's great. And um, there's a girl who loves to write uh, fan fiction about like characters from a Harry Potter type book. Yeah. And she says that she does it because she feels like there's one character who's just not being given the stories that they deserve. Yeah. And that was something that really resonated with me. Um in part because of the first person that we're going to talk about here, <laughs> Ron Weasley. But, um, no, because I think I'm a person who gets really invested in characters and gets yeah. really upset when I feel like they are not getting trajectories that are, like, true to who they are. Not being done justice. Yeah, or, like, are just more interesting mm-hmm. than, like, other characters that are go- getting more, like, screen time or yeah. pages. Um, so, yeah, I just have a lot of feelings. <laughs> So you basically were like, what are, we were talking about what were examples of characters that you wish you could, like, give a new life to, or you yes. could, you could write a new story that, like, gives this character more to do, or a better ending than what they get in their book or movie or what, what Exactly. Yes. So, we can start with Ron. Yeah. We have a lot of feelings about Ron Weasley. A lot of feelings about Rupert Grint. I feel like, honestly, the slightly convoluted premise is just us being like, how can we talk about Ron? (laughs) How do we make a whole episode about... So, let's just give a backstory, though. We've always been Ron fans. I feel like it's a huge part of why we're friends. Yeah. Early on in our friendship. We, like, we really also have a huge love for Rupert Grint. (laughs) Um, Rupert Dog, if you are listening... (laughs) It's also worth noting that uh, we call him Roop Dog specifically <laughs> because we probably had a lot of conversations along these lines where we're like, Rupert, Rupert, what would friends call? Do they Rupert? call him Rupert? Do they call him Roop? And then pretty. we settled pretty definitively on that they would definitely call him Roop Dog, <laughs> and that if we ever met him, like that's what we'd do to show yeah. that we are like his friend. Yeah. Let's be like, what's up, man? You have an ice cream truck. Let's hang Let's out. Let's hang out. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I guess we can start by saying that um, I don't think J.K. Rowling fully does justice to Ron and Ron's character, but I will say that she does a much better job than the movies do. Yes. Like, book Ron is infinitely better than movie Ron. And I want to make a very clear distinction that I do not think that is Rupert Grant's fault. Because <laughs> I wanted to just really stand up for Rupert Grant and defend him in saying that I think he did the best that he could with the material that he was given. I think that's true. And the lines and, like, space that he was given. And I think... If it wasn't for his comedic timing and him as a person in that role, Ron would have been even less likable in the movies than he was. No, and I think part of the reason that he kind of got even more reduced to comic relief is because Rupert Grint is so good at the comedy. Yeah. But like, you know, like, like, his strength as an actor actually yeah. ended up being like, oh, well, what do we have Rupert do? I know. Something we'll have him funny. Do this. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but, like, both book Ron and movie Ron... We've talked about this, I think, a little bit in a previous episode, but that they kind of start out definitely in book one where, like, Ron's very good at wizard's chess and he is very uh, strategic. He's good at kind of logic and uh, problem solving. And they... Threads of that kind of continue throughout the books. Definitely in the movies, you don't see a ton of that following through. And, like, yeah, they just... 
definitely in the movies kind of reduced Ron to the comedic relief. Like, he's the funny man, you're like, not really sure, like, Harry is Harry, and like, Hermione's there because she's smart, and she's, they'd fucking die if she wasn't there, and she's awesome, and like, they just, Ron's just kind of like there as the sidekick, and they kind of reduce him to just being Harry Potter's best friend, mm -hmm. and nothing more than that, and that's really frustrating, because I think he is a lot more than that. Well, it also <laughs> plays into, like, literally the character's worst fear, and the, I really have an issue with the fact, I think the first book does such a good job of being, like, he's this master, like, chess strategy person, like, not everyone could have beaten McGonagall's, like, wizard chess, like, set. Yeah. Very few people could, especially at age 11. That's an important person to have on your side. That is an important skill yes. set that you are going to draw on multiple times. Because it's not just strategy. It's also thinking about how different pieces move together, whose strengths you use at what time. Also, along with that, which you see in that same scene in the first book, he's very self-sacrificing. Like, totally. In that scene, like, he knows that his chess piece that he's on has to be has to be taken down and so like he's like you guys go on without me and they're like no we can't he's like nope that's what i gotta do for you to be able to like get to the stone and like solve this problem i'll get taken down it'll be fine like we'll figure it out and then that does kind of continue in the books there are things that he does like and that they left out of the movies that i found really upsetting like and later in the books when they are trapped in the like dungeon thing at malfoy manor and yes. hermione hermione stays up on the up on the level and is like getting tortured by all of the Death Eaters. Like in the movie, he's just kind of like down in the dungeon with Harry, just like whoop whoop, standing there, like waiting for the next thing to happen. In the books, he is like losing his shit. Like he is down, like he like right from the first time they're like, we're gonna keep this one and we're gonna torture her. He's like, no, take me, take me. I want you to take me instead. And he like incessantly will not stop screaming and like yelling Hermione's name. And like he is not okay until he finds out that Hermione is okay. Well, which also plays into why, yes, he's yeah. totally self-sacrificing, but yeah. also like the love he has for Hermione. Yeah. Like, I get so upset with with people who are like, Harry and Hermione should have been <gasps> together. Like, <gasps> are you fucking kidding me? You're wrong. You are flat out wrong, people. I don't get it. Like, the love that Ron has for Hermione is so present throughout. Harry's just fucking off, doing his own thing. Ron is always listening to her. Listen, that's always. We, and we talk about this all the time. It's like, Alice and I's number one thing that we hate about the movies is the best, the best part of when they finally get together in the books and they yes. finally kiss is that in the book, the thing that makes Hermione jump on top of Ron and like make out with him is right when the war is starting and the Battle of Hogwarts and it's right before it's about to start and all of the people are going and getting ready and Ron says, wait, we forgot about the house elves, we should go get them and she's like, why? So they can fight? And he goes, no, so we can get them out and keep them safe. And like, he's been listening oh. to her this whole fucking time and he makes fun of her but he cares about what she cares about she cares about the else house elves so he cares about the house elves like it makes me so mad that that is not what like what like that they left it out I know, totally and i think you also touched on something great here like one of the best things about ron is he cares about what other people care about and not in the like oh i'll just go along with it way yeah. if he sees that someone is like torn up about something yeah. he is there and a perfect example of this that isn't in the movies which i kind of get because it's tangential in the third book when buckbeak is about to get yes. e executed 
Like, it's Ron. It's yes. not Harry, who's, like, so obsessed with figuring out what's going on with Sirius Black. It's not Hermione, who's bitten off way more than she can chew with schoolwork. It is fucking Ron, who's pounding the books, writing letters, yeah. doing everything he can, because, like, he doesn't really care about this hippogriff, but you know who he cares about? He cares about Hagrid. Yeah. Uh, that's the guy you want. Even the scene where, and, like, people give him so much shit for leaving when they're, like, mm. in the fucking tent in the seventh book, like fucking tooling around trying to get the horcruxes and in the movie they do him like they reduce that scene to him just like being jealous because like in the movie they've invented this weird thing where harry and hermione are like maybe in love with each other for a little bit while they're in the tents that's not in the book at all and that is not why he leaves at all in the fucking book like in the book he explicitly goes through all the shit where he's like worried about his family i also think I hate that fucking, like, 100 pages in the woods is the worst part of the whole fucking series. And I think the one important part about those pages is it shows how important Ron is. Yeah. Like, literally, universally, I think, people would agree that the worst, most boring, most tedious fucking pages of the whole series are, like, when When they're stuck in the fucking woods. And it's because Ron isn't there. So we've talked a lot about why we're upset and defensive. So I think we're going to talk about ways we could help Ron have a better story. And I think one thing that we haven't mentioned not liking yet is that um, apparently, briefly, Ron is in Auror because he's Harry's sidekick, Ugh. and that's what Harry's doing, so obviously he also becomes one, but then he, like, apparently quits that to, like, help, um, which one's the George. one? George. <laughs> sorry. That's, like, daggers sorry. to my heart, I'm so Kelly. sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> George with, uh, Weasley's Wizard Weezes, and I have a huge problem with I have with a that. huge problem with it, too. It suggests that Fred is totally replaceable with another Weasley. It's a disservice to Ron. Like, don't get me wrong, he likes jokes, but he's more than that, you know? And I think it would have been a better choice to have him um, potentially become, like, an unspeakable and work in the Department of Mysteries, because he, one, is, like we talked about, very good at logistics and puzzle solving and that sort of thinking, but I think he also just has, because he comes from this, like, pure-blood, long-living, like, wizard family, he has this, um, in-depth understanding of how the wizarding world works, and so I think it would have been interesting to give him a job where he's, like, work, you know, solve some of those mysteries or uncover some of those things and, um, where he's, like, a really integral part of, like, some of the more complex, like, wizard things that happen. I think also, like, okay, I think one of the reasons that Hermione and Ron are both friends with Harry is because they find mysteries really compelling. Yeah. Like, if you think about it, like, Harry finds mysteries compelling, but part of it is, like, a lot of these mysteries are about him. Like, it's impossible, like, there's a self-interest aspect to it, where it's, like, he wants to know what is happening, because he kind of has to know what's happening. But I think both Ron and Hermione are similar to you, like, they're those people at the murder mystery store of a party who are like, but wait, what if it's this person? (laughs) So I, I like that idea of just kind of, like, going with that. Yeah. Um, I also hate this I think you get this a lot in the in the movies, definitely in the books to a certain degree as well, where it's like, Ron would have lived a totally boring, like, unextraordinary life if Harry didn't come into his life. Like, yeah. if Harry hadn't sat on the train with him that one day. And that's bullshit. Another thing I think that could help fix it is that if Ron gets on the Quidditch team because he's obviously good at Quidditch, and then he's the strategic person. He's the exactly. logistics guy. He's the one that grew up knowing about Quidditch and, and like, like studying loves it. it and loving it and being a... Yeah, exactly. He should have been Quidditch captain. Especially because they sort of like... 
him even getting on the team was like sort of treated even in the books as a joke like oh yeah. he, he might not make it he's not that good oh it's questionable it's because Hermione, it's because like, Hermione pounds, helped yeah. him it's because Harry tricks him into thinking that he took Felix Felicius before he like tried yeah. to, you know what I mean like and I get I get why as a plot device they use that to like show that Hermione loves him and they have Harry be a good friend for once in his life like, yeah. so, like <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding sorry Harry um, but like you know what I mean? Like, I, I feel like that kind of was unfair to Ron because oh, he's been playing was. Quidditch his whole life. His brothers all played on the team. He's good at Quidditch. Like, but he's not the only Weasley who's not good at Quidditch. And I feel like he would have been slightly more confident. Especially because it's two seasons of Quidditch, right, yeah. for Ron. Like, the fifth book, I think, makes sense to have him kind of struggle with confidence and, like, yeah. get that, I love the Weasley is our king moment. Yeah. Like, get to that. But then the sixth movie, especially when, like, Harry's off, like, dicking around, have him step up, like, run the practices, give the plays, do the, kind of that, yeah. like, marshalling general thing that, like, he yeah. obviously has the skill set to do. I think another great option to kind of use that skill set, too, would have been, like, um, at the end of, like, the fifth book when they're in, like, the Ministry of Magic. That's when they have yeah. a little bit of a larger crew at that point because you have Luna, Neville, and Ginny, and would have been great yeah. to, like... Harry is Harry. He's gonna, like, fucking run off in, like, whatever direction he wants to run off. And yeah. it would have been great to see a moment of Ron, like, taking charge Charging, and thinking. directing people. So, in conclusion, Ugh. don't fuck with Ron. Don't fuck with Ron. Yeah, we will step to you. <laughs> <laughs> we will fucking come for you. <laughs> um, okay, so that's good. Um, yeah. Moving on to your... This, yeah. So Ron was like our shared mutual well, <laughs> upsetness, obviously. Yeah, which is why it took like half the episode. Now, um, Alice, <laughs> another character that you would like to give a new story to. Okay, so it's actually two characters. Um, so this is the musical Les Mis. Yes. <laughs> I actually have not read Les Mis as a book, even though I should. But the musical Les Mis is super long and rambling, but the second half of, focuses on kind of like the friends of the ABC who are who are like leading uh, the revolution to a certain extent. And, like, it's done so that you can see, like, this guy, Marius, who just moons over this fucking boring-ass girl named Cosette. And, like, that's, like, who you're supposed to care about in the second half of, of the play. And I, I just can't get there at all. But actually, if I were to, like, take two characters and, like, do more shit with them, it would be two really minor characters. And this is where we're getting into Alice Known Fact territory. Yes, yep. Okay, so in the musical, there are two characters that are, like, like, one is kind of a main character. His name is Angelros, and he's kind of the student leading the Friends of the ABC. Um, and then there's another character who's, like, glorified chorus named Grantaire, who, like, you basically don't even know his name unless you're, like, me and you Google it. But the reason I would want to kind of, like, steal them and do, like, a whole another musical about them is that basically what happens is, like, they're foils to each other. And, like, Angel Ross is, like, this huge idealist who is leading this battle and, like, really believes that, like, they, they can build a better future and is, like... And then there's Grantaire, who's a total cynic, um, doesn't care about anything. But in the book, they kind of say that he's drawn to Angel Ross... Um, like a toad who looks up at a bird in flight. Like, there's something about, like, Andoras's, like, idealism that Grantaire, like, really is attracted to. In both the book and the musical, it's never made explicit, but, um, like, there's a question of, like, whether, like, that's, like, a friendship love or a romantic love. And the best thing 
about the like 2012 like musical in my opinion is that the actor playing Grand Terre um, had like read about all of this and knew that there was this question of like the relationship between Grand Terre and Andras and is it a thing and what he decided to do was two things he decided he was gonna lean into it hard and like always be making like eyes at Andras and kind of like be goading him with his like drinking and his like not caring about the revolution yeah so that was thing one. And thing two is he was never going to tell the actor playing Andras that that's what he was going to do. And so, like, you have this amazing, like, undercurrent of, like, I don't know, like, a sexual tension romance thing yeah. where he's just like, hey, bro, I like you, but, like, you don't know that. And, like, Andras is just like, what the fuck is going on? And they actually end up dying together, like, hand in hand. It's just, like, a really compelling, interesting story yeah. that I would at least give a song to. I would, like, absolutely make it so that you know Grand Terre yeah. is a character and that this is a dynamic that's happening. Yeah. And ideally, like, I would watch a whole musical about that shit. Yeah. That's, like, a really long rant. No, it all sounds like I would rather watch that movie than actual Les Mis. <laughs> <laughs> did you even watch it? No. <laughs> <laughs> I should have asked you this before we did this. Like, I feel like I just did. <laughs> yeah, this is, like, a very small component of the whole movie. You and know what? That's fine, though. That's It's a character I think that you would like to give a different ending to. I think this is a thing that I usually do, though. We've talked about this. I love side characters. I yeah. fucking love side characters. I don't know what it is. Like, I think sometimes they're more interesting. I think sometimes it's just... Is like, it, like, the mystery aspect that, like, you don't know? Like, you can invent more about them yourself because you're not being told. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. I think there's a component of that. And then lastly, I think there's probably some messed up psychological issue where I cast myself as like a sidekick in my own life. <laughs> but no, like I think there, I really like when there are like little things that are either like explicit or implicit that I think exist and maybe they don't. Um, and one that we've talked about is Pride and Prejudice. Yes. Um, Mary and Collins. Exactly. Um, so like Mary Bennett is like kind of like the dud sister, right? Like, she's not yeah. that interesting. She's kind of boring. She just, like, talks about, like, literature all the time. She's like us. Um, <laughs> no. Um, but, like, in, I think a little bit in the book, but definitely in, like, the more recent um, yeah, movie. Okay. That actress, like, mad props, I feel like she is always conscious of where Collins is in a scene and kind of creates this, like, undercurrent of, like, she is into Collins. Yeah. <laughs> it's just really well done. Um, so I think in general, I would just... I feel like... You want the Mary Collins love story? Yes. I think I'm that person who watches uh, watches a movie and doesn't really care about the main storyline, <laughs> or kind of does, but then it's like, but wait, I see like glimmers of something here. We could dive into it. And yeah. sometimes it's the side characters. Sometimes it's things where I feel like there's definite history, um, yeah. like Bert and Mary Poppins. Um, but yeah, I think I think that's what like Grant Hare and Angel Ross kind of play into for me. Valid. Okay. Thanks for <laughs> I'll have to watch Les Mis now <laughs> or read it. Um, okay, so <laughs> mine is like definitely more lowbrow on the literary scale. <laughs> Uh, just gonna throw that out there. It's not Les Mis <laughs> caliber, or even Harry Potter caliber. It's, uh, Twilight. So, <laughs> I am firmly on Team Jacob, but not just because Edward is the fucking worst, yeah. but also because I feel like 
What the fuck is her name? Who Bella. Twilight. Oh, uh, Stephanie Meyer. Stephanie Meyer, thank you. Stephanie Meyer originally was only planning to write one book. Like, so Twilight wasn't intended to be a series. It was intended to be one novel. And um, so she wrote the first novel. It was obviously, like, wildly popular. And in the first... In the first book, Jacob is like a plot device. He's j just there to like give Bella some background information on like the the legend of vampires within yeah. their community that comes from him like being a Native American and like apparently knowing folksy things like that. And uh, <laughs> which is also eh, problematic. But, like <laughs> like that's like he's literally just a plot device. He's not. He's comes off as kind of a little brother type. He's not intended to be like romantic competition for Edward because Edward and Bella are meant to be like OTP and all be all relationship. Then the book's wildly successful and people are like, write more and she's like, okay, well how do I do that? So she's like, I know, we'll like we'll like make a love triangle like people like Jacob will make a love triangle. <laughs> and so like she just sort of like creates a second book where like there's like a minor conflict and like Edward freaks out and is like I'm gonna peace out for fucking ever bye and Bella is like devastated and Jacob is like a good friend and is like kind of there for her but it's also like a little bit of like a friend zoned bro that's like love me instead and um like what's terrible about that is like arguably Jacob is like a much better character than like like I think Stephanie Meyer has even said like she kind of like fell in love with him yeah. as a character and as a person like he's a good friend to Bella he's like he's just like a fun person a fun character well, and he's also he's human yeah. and I don't mean that like obviously like it like <sighs> vampire isn't human but yeah. like uh Edward, Edward is, so is like brooding. unattainable and yeah. brooding and he's just... cold kind of he's uh, no he's... you like him because he's mysterious but like long term like who wants to spend their life with that motherfucker Nobody. no one <laughs> so and I think like that's like Jacob is yeah so much more human so much more likable um he's definitely like a prepubescent boy like kind of like going through some changes and like being angsty and like he's probably a never nude. <laughs> <laughs> this sidebar, like I had this huge revelation once when I was watching the movies that when all the werewolves transform, they're like completely naked except for they're wearing jean cutoffs. And I texted <laughs> Kelly and was like, "Oh my god, the werewolves are all never nudes. There are dozens of them, <laughs> literally dozens." dozens. <laughs> Um, if you're not an Arrested Development fan, you just did not get back to reference, and we apologize. But, yeah, so I just feel like Jacob, and, and because he has those moments where he is angsty, and he is just a teenage boy that's like, mm, why don't you like me? Like, you know what I mean? Like, he's just so much more realistic, and, like, you want to be his friend, you want to know him, and I just really, really hate that... The way the love triangle is solved. This is awful. So, <laughs> it turns out that Jacob, like, how the plot continues is that it turns out Jacob is a werewolf. And, like, his tribe of Native Americans are, like, werewolves, which is something that happened, like, in response to there being vampires in their environment. So, for generations, vampires haven't been around as much and they haven't been turning into werewolves. But now that, like, Edward and his fucking family are around again, Jacob and all his friends start, like, hitting puberty and turning into werewolves. 
And so werewolves do this thing called imprinting where like they have a soulmate and they like imprint on someone and like they're soulmates for forever and ever and like they're like totally obsessed and in love with that one person. And so the way that they solve the Bella Edward Jacob love triangle <laughs> is that when Bella has like a strange vampire child with uh, Edward, Jacob imprints <laughs> on the child, on Renesme. Also worth <laughs> And they're like, that's why he's been in love or thought he was in love with Bella this whole time. Because really he's been imprinting on his soulmate, her unborn child. <laughs> and they like try to make it okay by being like, oh, because the child is half human, half vampire. She ages really quickly and like she's technically only three months old, but now she's like, looks like she's 12 and she talks and she's really smart. And you're like, still not okay. <laughs> no, and they're like, oh, and it's not romantic love, at least not initially. And you're not like, until later when she, once she's an adult. And you're like, no. That's convenient. That's convenient. Hard pass. I also, <laughs> it's like crack ship territory. It's like, it disgusting. Is... And it's, it's because she didn't plan it out ahead of time and she made the side B, like, you know, like the supposed to be option two, not as good as option one character, more likable than option one. Well, so then the only acceptable solution was to be like, oh, like. <laughs> no, absolutely. It's that. And that it's also that she didn't invest any time in creating any other interesting female options. And yeah. to be fair, Bella was an not interesting, an interesting female option. <laughs> but she at least got page numbers, right? Yeah. Like, there were no other. Yeah. There was no other, like, clear, oh, maybe Jacob will like this person. And then yeah. she was like, oh, but wait, Bella's having a kid. Yeah. I know what I'll do. And, like, maybe I'm just attached to Jacob because of my love for Taylor Lautner. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to say that right out loud on this podcast. But, like, I think that you could have done, he could be done so much more justice. Like, yeah. he is the only interesting or only compelling character in that whole book. Like, or in that whole series. Like, name another character that you would, like, actually want to... If there was a Twilight spinoff, who was it about? I would not watch a Twilight spinoff, but yeah, no. Like, Jacob, Jacob is the only person that you, like, actually give a shit about. So, yeah. like, and, like, that might in part honestly be because, like, Taylor Lautner, like, makes... Taylor Lautner is definitely an actor that, like, makes him more compelling. And, like, it's interesting because I feel like he hasn't been, like, necessarily super successful, like, after Twilight. But, like, like that was, like, he was a huge reason that people went to go see those movies. He's not or a great actor, but he's a charismatic person. person. And I feel like that, like really played into like the one guy that taylor swift couldn't write a diss track about <laughs> couldn't do it just that great <laughs> just that awesome so um i think you solved that by like well and i had an interesting like i got so excited and so wrapped up in this theory when i was trying to tell alice about it initially that i like wasn't even getting my words out <laughs> and she was like kelly you're like saying weird side reasons why this might not work out and you're not even like telling me your basic premise <laughs> so in my ideal world i think that you should rewrite twilight as a like coming of age <laughs> romance with Jacob as the main character instead of Bella. Like, forget Bella. She fucking sucks. She's not in the mix. She's gone. Jacob is the main character. It's him, like, you know, starting out. He's, like, on this, uh, you know, Native American reservation. He's, like, trying to go to school, trying to grow up. He somehow interacts with Edward and, like, it obviously awakens this whole werewolf thing with inside of him, but maybe it also awakens something else. <laughs> 
And then it's I like, know what you are. It's the, it's the story of their friendship and like him coming to terms with like being a werewolf. Um, like, you know, maybe, like, being homosexual, I don't know if that comes into play. Like, but it's his relationship with Edward because I feel like that's more, like, that's more compelling, right? Like, yeah. and he can't become a vampire because he's a fucking werewolf. And then, like, it's, like, a whole, like, that's a clash. It's, like, the societal... Like, Romeo and Juliet. Like, yeah. deal. I, no, I, I like it. I will also yeah. say, um... And then it's not as much appropriation of the Native American culture as it is when it's just, like, Bella using it to find out Yeah, about, it's like, not a convenient yeah. plot tool. Um, yeah. It's, like, actually part of the plot. Um, no, and what I was going to say is that uh, fucking Fifty Shades of Grey started as a <laughs> Twilight fanfic. So maybe you can just, like, write your I own write my own <laughs> fanfic and, like, you know, change it around a bit. There you go. We'll do it. Yeah. So, in conclusion, let us know if you're on board with my... With any of ...idea to just scrap Bella for Twilight. Yeah, I like it. It's like how they have those, um... Like, they have Garfield comic strips, but without Garfield. Uh, and so it's just, like, his owner being really depressed. I like the idea of a Twilight without Bella. Yeah. <laughs> just, what if you just remove her entirely from the text? Would it still work? Probably not, but maybe. I... Honestly, it might be better. It might be better. <laughs> I feel like a book that you wrote, like the, or like a fan fiction you wrote without Bella would definitely work. I'm curious if you just like literally subtracted her from the text, would it work? Not that she was lost. Maybe we'll find out. <laughs> okay, so official podcast business. Yes. Follow us places, Twitter, Instagram. Tell other people about us um, if you like us. Subscribe, do things. All that good stuff. Yeah. Okay. Let's Thanks, guys. Bye.